0: who is an elite bike racer, as well as a certified massage therapist at Pure Massage in Boulder, Colorado, a cycling coach, and a nutrition consultant. To be honest, when I planned this conversation, I figured we'd talk mostly about nuts and bolts stuff. You know, how massage can facilitate recovery, how training and recovery changes during this time of life, that kind of stuff. And then we went down all of these other roads that I didn't see coming. Like what it's like going from being in the shape of your life to barely being able to move with a broken neck and then back again, which is what happened to Tracy in 2018 and 19. We talk about discipline and training and believing in yourself, which is an important piece that I think often gets overlooked. And of course, we talk about the benefits of body work and there are plenty of nuts and bolts take homes here. Tracy just brought so much heart and experience and passion to this conversation. She started out in life as a dancer and then found cycling later and has been racing road bikes since 2004. And she has raced nationally and internationally in road races, gravel events, and cyclocross, including Tour of the Gila, Cascade Cycling Classic, Colorado Classic, Sea Otter, Tucson Bike Classic, Valley of the Sun, Green Mountain Stage Race. It goes on and on. And in 2019, she was awarded the best all-around rider for Masters 50-plus in Colorado. In her words, to reach success, it has not been talent, but rather constant work on honing technique, execution, and mindset to win and be my best. As she puts it, if you want to break your ceiling, sometimes you have to raise your floor, elevate your starting point. And there's a lot in there I really love and I hope you do too. Okay, before we get to the show, just my usual quick reminders that we have social media channels. You can find us at Feisty Menopause on Instagram and Facebook. We have a private and ever-growing Hit Play Not Pause Facebook channel where you can come in and join the conversation on everything and anything. And if you want to deep dive into all things active menopausal living, we've got the Feisty Menopause Membership. Where we offer in-depth materials, expert webinars, and sponsor discounts. You can learn all about that as well as our upcoming summit, which I'm getting increasingly excited about, at feistymenopause.com. And of course, I have an email, you've been using it, I love it. You can find me at hitplay, not pause at livefeisty.com. Keep the emails and the reviews and the stars and the hearts and the ratings and the sharings coming. The show continues to grow, and I am psyched. It makes a huge difference, and it lets me keep on keeping on and get great guests to bring to you every week. Okay, truly, enough of me. Let's have a quick word about our awesome sponsors and get on with the show. Women who ride bikes, and I am most certainly one of them, know that finding women's cycling clothing can be an exercise in frustration, right? And that's why I am so psyched that one of my favorite women-owned and operated clothing companies, Velarosa, has come on as a sponsor of Hit Play, Not Pause. Velarosa's kits feature bold, beautiful, colorful prints and patterns. And the collections, which I really love, are designed so you can mix and match the coordinating pieces to get more mileage out of your cycling wardrobe. Best of all, they fit like a dream. The chamois is super comfortable and perfectly placed. The yoga waistband hugs your midsection without digging in anywhere. And the leg bands are like 100% functional and flattering with no squeezy sausage leg effect. That is a big nope for me. Whether you like to ride pavement, gravel, dirt, or your local trail system, Velorosa's got you covered beautifully. And now thanks to their sponsorship, Hit Play, Not Pause listeners can get 15% off their first order at VelarosaCycling.com. Just enter the code HIT PLAY, all caps, one word, at checkout. Again, that's VelarosaCycling.com, the code PLAY for 15% off. So go get some sweet Velarosa Cycling clothing today. Like many of you, I try to eat well, train well, take the supplements I need, and track my recovery, sleep, and progress. So imagine my surprise when I found out I had elevated blood sugar, high cortisol, out of whack lipids, and was borderline anemic. Yeah, all while I was racing well and feeling actually pretty great. Turns out all of my training stress was taking a hidden toll. How did I find out? Inside tracker. Inside Tracker is a service that analyzes your blood, DNA, lifestyle, and fitness trackers to provide you a personalized, science based, trackable action plan on how to live, age, and perform better. Inside Tracker is simpler, cheaper, and more convenient than traditional blood tests, and their blood tests also include biomarkers that are key to performance that you don't get from traditional blood tests like ferritin and vitamin D. My favorite part? They don't just give you data. They provide you with nutrition and lifestyle tips to take action. And I've taken those actions myself and have been improving those markers and ultimately my health. So for a limited time, my friends at Inside Tracker are offering my listeners 25% off their entire store. So go to InsideTracker.com slash feisty menopause to take advantage of that offer. Again, it's InsideTracker.com slash Feisty menopause, I can tell you, it works. Well, thank you, Tracy, for joining us on the show. Uh, it's it it's been kind of cool to get to learn your story and know you. And you know, I want to talk about the bodywork piece for sure, but I'd like to start with your own story a little bit. I found it interesting you were a dancer for a stretch and then you had a baby and then you began road racing if I read it correctly in 2004 and then you upgraded to a Cat 1 at age 50 and that is a very unusual tale. So I'd
1: like you to just you know give us a little bit of that of that story. It's 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 one of my proudest moments racing bikes is that I upgraded at age 50 and to a cat one um, it's really difficult to do that because when you upgrade from, you know, the lower ranks and along they, they give you, they'll give you um, you know, you know, you don't have to get all the points or, or maybe you can petition and get a recommendation from a coach or, you know, basically talk your way into convincing them that, you know, you could, you should be upgraded to a, to a better category. But when you're getting your cat one upgrade, you have to earn every single point. And that means that you have to podium for second or third in races. And you also have to be in big fields. And um, because the more numbers, the more points, um, if there's not enough numbers, there's no points. So, you know, you have a very concise period of time to, to do that. So I had to travel a lot. I had to go for wins in big fields against elite women, all the elite women, you know, cat one, cat two. So it was, it was a lot of work and I, I had to bring my A game, but that's what a cat one status is. It's professional, it's elite, and it's the top tier and there was no there's no compromise for for earning that. So I was very proud at 50 to do that. And I guess it just, you know, speaks to, I guess, the, the work ethic that I have from being a dancer is just very detail oriented. You know, <laughs> I started out. You know, just in jazz and musicals in high school, and I, I started late. I started dance at age thirteen, so for you know pro- professionally, that's that's late. I went into jazz and modern, and and I, I did have to take ballet, obviously, because back in that era, ballet bar was kind of the beginning of of every class. I wasn't very good at ballet because I had I came from a ski racing background. My parents were both Olympic and and world. World Cup ski racers in Canada. My mother was a a Canadian Olympic ski racer and my dad coached the women's team and that's how they met. So I I grew up with a, you know, on skis and competing as a ski racer until I was in fourth grade. And then when I got into dance, obviously my body was not um, very limber. So ballet uh, was not my forte. I I hated it. And my ballet teachers hated me (laughs) because I had no range of motion or anything. But I worked I worked at it really hard. So when I wanted to go to college, you know, my I was in everyone was going to college for math and science. And I really just wanted to dance. I was fine in in subjects, but I didn't really want to, I felt like it it wasn't gonna be fun to have a job going into the regular workforce. It just, just wasn't something that I had a passion for. And my parents were very much like follow your passion and wherever it leads you will be great. So I um, I wanted to dance and I had a, a family friend who was working in the industry in LA and the film industry. And she said, oh, well, what about a performing arts school? And so I thought, oh, what's that? <laughs> so she, you know, at the time it was before computers really and internet. So she found um, the three best performing arts schools in the country, which at the time was North Carolina School of the Arts, obviously Juilliard in New York and Philadelphia University of the Arts in Philadelphia. And I didn't want to go to North Carolina, though it was an amazing performing arts school because it was in the middle of nowhere. And New York, at the time, I thought I wasn't going to be good enough for a New York school because I was living in a small town and I'd started late and I felt insecure compared to my peers. So I auditioned for Philadelphia and I got in and so i thought well it's only a train ride from new york city so i'll go there and just go to new york on the weekends and do workshops and 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 that sort of thing so in hindsight if anyone that's listening is interested in dance or has children interested in dance i have to say go go big when you go to auditions just don't don't be the decider for for yourself because you don't know what people are looking for i ended up with a knack in choreography and got some grants to produce my own work as my career progressed towards the end of my career. And so maybe they would have seen that, uh, in my audition as a professional dancer, I had to work very hard to get where I got the vision. I like to use a lot is I had a machete and there was no path and I had to make it myself. Mm -hmm. It was a, it was hard work. I had a teacher once say to me before in college, before, a. And, and this is pertinent to, to sort of my work ethic, you know, everyone has a month off, Tracy, and you can't afford to take a day off. This is right before the holidays. And I was just kind of like, oh, okay. And the other thing is, you know, in school, uh, it you know, performance was really important. And it was very, very competitive. And so I'd be in a class of, you know, 40 girls and and guys, and the energy was very high. And I had teachers say, give it up. When you walk in this door, you give it up. And so it's not, you know, the the thing about dance is it's your body. And uh, again, with the bike, you know, you're relying on the bike and you have gear. So that's nice to be able to say, oh, my bike was faster. Oh, you know, Uh, my gears were great or whatever. The wind was in my favor. But when you dance, it's your body and you, you have to have it. You have to make it happen and there's no excuses and there's nothing to hide behind. So I think having spent so much time with that as a focus, when I went into cycling, it was easy to me to excel in cycling because my work ethic and my attention to detail with my own body was so high. Like your big toe matters in dance and, you know, the line from your fingers to your top of your head to your toes matters. And just having that sense about yourself just gives you a lot of attention to detail, listening to your body on the inside and, you know, what is it capable of doing? So I think I, I had that work ethic and that attention. So when I went into cycling, it was easy for me to excel, even though I didn't have the cardiovascular engine that you need as a cyclist because it's endurance. mm mm-hmm. But how I got into cycling was I was, I was in a relationship and he was a cyclist. And so a lot was, of
0: people get into cycling. Right. Yeah. Yeah.
1: <laughs> and so I was 30, you know, 35 or so. And it's, it's not the first time I'd been on a bike, but I, my, my family rode bikes and stuff like that. So I was, it was, I was no stranger to the industry at all. Um, even as even, even at a racing level, I'd been around races and stuff, but never put on a pair of cleats. And so my husband at the time was like, oh, I think you'd be really good at racing. Why don't you jump into this race? And I did. And I got like third in this road race as like a master's, you know, 35 plus athlete. And I was like, oh, that's, that's cool. I didn't have to work very hard. Whereas with dance, I had to work really hard. I mean, really hard. And I got no a lot. And so I was like, Oh, this is kind of nice. You know, I, I don't even really know what I'm doing and I did well. So then, you know, just, it was fun. So I kept doing it and I kept doing well. And then eventually got a coach and, you know, I got a coach because I I didn't really know anything about, you know, training or my endurance engine or how to do it right. I, I didn't know anything. So I felt like I needed that. And again, referencing my background with dance, it's like, you know, you have dance teachers, which are essentially coaches every day, all the time, choreographers that you work for. So having a coach just seemed like it made a lot of sense. If you want to be good at something, then you get a coach, (laughs) you know? So um, it's sort of hard to, I mean, you can figure it out on your own if you're a kid and stuff like that, but eventually you do need someone to help shepherd you into the arena and hone your skills. So I got a coach and that really helped. And that was kind of the beginning of my cycling.
0: And and then how old are you now?
1: So I'm 54 this year. Mm-hmm. Happy yeah, birthday. So, thank you. Yeah, it was in April.
0: And yeah. you've had great success in, through your 50s. Yeah,
1: yeah. I have. Yeah, I, w- what happened if in broad strokes, I guess. I dipped and dabbed in racing and training. You know, I'd, I'd start the season strong in the beginning and, and do early races. And then I'd kind of peter off as the summer went on. I had a child at the time. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, just being a mom. And then somewhere in there, after a few years, I, I went through, a, a, you know, a lot of life changes and had to raise my kid and go back to work. And cycling became, you know, racing just went way to the back burner. And then it sort of became the only way that I could get in shape was to get on my bike. So you can get on your bike at any time during the day with dance. It's like classes at 10. Can you make it? (laughs) So it was just a lot more flexible to ride my bike. So eventually I got back into racing as my son got a little bit older and I, I, you know, had a different coach at that time and, and started getting more serious and still kind of on and off. And then I think it was, one year I decided I wanted to do nationals in my forties. And so I went for that and had, had a decent finish, but my coach wasn't very, really focused on me. It was very, very loose coaching. And then I, I met a, I met a new, I met Tom Danielson actually um, on a ride one day, winter training. Cause I I'm that girl who in Colorado in the winter, you know, even if I'm in ski gloves, I want to be outside on my bike training. Mm -hmm. So I met him on a group ride and, and he was like, Hey, what are you doing? Who are you? What's going on? (laughs) And so he just started, you know, getting to know me and asked me if I joined his rides and started asking me about my coaching and, and, and what my goals were. And over a few rides over a few weeks, basically let me know he wanted to coach me. And I was pretty, set with my coach I'd had for about 4 years didn't really realize that the that he had had a low ceiling on me because of my age at mm-hmm. this point I was uh 40, 48 maybe
0: mm-hmm.
1: so anyway so I started the season and um and I went to my first race and my my old coach was kind of like I, I I texted him and was like I'm I'm scared about this race you know this isn't my event you know I'm afraid of being last and his he had this tough love attitude like well, if you don't if you don't try, then I guess you won't have a good finish or something. And I, it, I was like, okay, whatever. Thanks. <laughs> so then I was like, hmm, let me do an experiment. So I texted Tom and I was like, hey, I've got a race tomorrow. This is what it is. And he got right back to me. It was like 10 o'clock at night or something. And he was like, ah, oh, that's awesome. What's your plan? I want you to look at the course and tell me your plan. And I was like, oh, that's pretty mm-hmm. cool. Mm-hmm. And so I did. And he was like, okay, good plan. But I want you to try this. Think about it. You know, if this is the course, this is the way you should approach it. So I went to the race and I came second to last. It was a time trial and I was with the pro women and it was the first race of the season. It was hard. And so I texted my coach, didn't hear anything from him. So I texted Tom the results page and he saw that I was second to last. And his comment back was, so now can I please start coaching you? And so I was like, okay, that sounds good. So when, so the reason I was telling you that story is because when I switched to Tom Danielson, I, I had already had all this experience of like on and off and half in, half out and trying different things. And I had raced on the NRC and done different stuff and experimented a lot, different levels of commitment. But when I got with him, I was like, okay, this is it. I'm going to commit 100% to a full season and I want to win races. I want to win master's championships in the state, in the country. And so the first year I did, those were my goals. And I did really well. Like I swept the master's podiums clean. It was very easy. And the second year I decided, well, I want to upgrade to a cat one because I had been a cat two forever. Cause the cat one and cat two women compete right. together. Um, there's really no reason to upgrade unless you're, you know, I don't know for whatever, there's no reason to really upgrade, but I wanted the ink to show my commitment, and you know Cat one means the top, and I, that was my commitment level. so so I told Tom and he's like, okay, so that's what we worked at, and I got it, which was awesome at 50, and it, it took me, you know, I probably committed myself for a couple of years very seriously to full seasons from March to August. I had a race schedule, you know, everything was planned out, my training, my A races, my B races which races I would race masters, which races I would race pro, um, which races I would race nationally, which races I would race locally. So that's kind of how that came about.
0: So two questions in there. Uh, Are you, because you're hitting 50, late forties, You know every, every woman is different, but are you experiencing any hormonal changes at this point where you're noticing any, anything that's different, whether it's, you know, the traditional sort of hot flashes or whether your recovery isn't quite the same or body composition and how do you deal with it? And even if, even if you haven't hit any of that, like what, what did you change in your training as you're going into this, into this place of, you know, late forties to fifties to be so successful?
1: As, as a dancer, I did notice my cycle a lot when I was performing because you get cramps and you get irritable Mm -hmm. and you feel bloated. Mm -hmm. You feel bloated when you're a dancer, you do not want to feel bloated. <laughs> and, um, you know, I guess my attitude was always, you know, I need to embrace this. Mm-hmm. I, I can't get rid of this, right? Mm-hmm. I need to embrace this. There's no way to stop this. Mm-hmm. And as a cyclist, as an endurance athlete, I know a lot of women who take the pill. You know, they, they try to manipulate their cycles with hormone replacement and all these things and i don't I don't know how that works for them, and I know that a lot of doctors and stuff um, have have opinions about that. I feel like like when I was about forty two and I started getting more serious about my training again, I did notice I was having some issues I, I was getting a lot of fatigue and mm-hmm. my body was changing I had some weight gain and and stuff and that was the first time that I really noticed I had some uncontrollable changes in my body. And, and what I found was that was the beginning of menopause for me. Mm-hmm. And with that, my cycles were very irregular. So I couldn't really nail it down on that. Right. So I did, I did a lot of work. I saw a naturopath, I I found out that, you know, at that point, my body just changed a lot. My, you know, there was a lot of stuff going on. And I I sort of had to get with the program, you know, like my, my body was different. Now it wasn't this consistent cycle anymore. And, you know, the hard work that I was putting on my body with training was having an effect, not just on my hormones, but on a lot of things, you know, my endocrine system in general, my adrenals, my thyroid, you know, it's all super connected. So I really had to work. I worked for about a year to get all that in line now being an older athlete. And once I kind of got on top of that, um, my endocrine system, my my hormones shifting. Then I was able to to kind of work that, and it it fluctuated a lot during my 40s. I remember going to a big stage race that I really wanted to do well at, and the day I'm heading to the race, I freaking get my period, and I'm like, oh my god, what am I gonna do? Like this is not gonna be good. Um, carbohydrate absorption becomes really difficult when you have your period, and it's a stage race i've got to recover well multi day events so i talked to my doctor and she was like you know stay on your hyd- hydration this is when you should eat your carbs this is what you should do pre and post workout you know you got to stay on this the reality is is that when you're racing or when you're training your body is never going to be 100% we we all want we want to get enough sleep we want everything to be perfect we want everything to line up but the reality is is that there's always some niggle there's always something And so, you know, you got to get tough and get gritty (laughs) and work with what you have. So I like to look at a menstrual cycle when I was menstruating, I I guess I like to look at it as a superpower. And it really was. I mean, I still wish I was menstruating (laughs) because it's a freaking superpower. Like if you can line up, if you can get methodical and line up your races or your, you know, when you want your A game with your cycle and you can kind of figure that out. Then you can be amazing because you know when your hormones are low, you're incredible, and so I think that's that's the way I like to look at it. Now, I would say I've noticed as I age, especially I didn't really notice much in my performance. Um, my recovery was not quite as good in my 40s, and and my stage racing results because I because I've been focused on winning races and being on the podium, which is first, second, or third in every race that I do. Uh, having my body at maximum capacity is like really important, and you know, as a, as an older athlete doing professional races, a seven day race is going to be much more difficult for me to recover from than a girl that's twenty. So, how do I make that work for myself? And you know, I, I I just have to be you know, there's there's a balance between, you know, your your strength and your your you know the the beauties of youth, which is strength and repeatability and wisdom, which you have as you're older, you know, you still have strength and repeatability. It may not be, may not be as great as the younger athlete, but you're wiser and you know where to put it and you know when to put it. So that becomes really important. And, you know, like I said, now not, not having a cycle and, and, you know, I think the biggest thing is that I can be more consistent, um, because I don't have to feel the fluctuations of, of my hormones. But at the same time, I feel the, you know, that my capabilities are just different now. And and I, I just work with that. My focus went from stage racing to, you know, nothing more than a, a four, four-day event if I wanted to win a race. And really my wins have really been in single-day events. I've become much more, you know, I my career has had to, I've had to shift with my age. So I went from focusing on stage racing, multi-day events to now I'm like a classics racer, you know, punchy, punchy races, things that have a lot of dynamics, things that are technical. That's my forte. Um, But, but super long hill climbs or multi-day long events, those, I I love those and I'll do those, but I, and I could be top 10, I could be maybe top five, but you know, it's not, I'm not going to be a winner for those most likely.
0: Right. Right. So, So, and you, and you coach now, is that,
1: yeah, yeah, I do. Um, and I guess it's been like a year in April, I started coaching for uh, Cinch Cycling. And mostly who I work with are most of the women. Um, I, I do have a few guys that I work with, and I, I really enjoy that.
0: So, so I, you used a phrase that I that I want to explore a little bit more. And, and in conversations we've had offline, you've used it, too. You said that your former coach had put a ceiling on you because of your age, right? And you've used the ceiling word a couple of times. And at some point when we were talking offline, you said something about, well, you could also raise your floor, which I thought was a really interesting turn of phrase. But what, what, do, you, what do you what do you mean by he put a ceiling on you? Like he, he just didn't think that you'd be able to perform at a certain level because of your age and therefore just kind of wrote you off? Or, you know, like what, is, yeah. what does that mean?
1: Yeah um so i think i think what i noticed was that that particular coach had a lot of young guys he was coaching and um younger athletes and i was an an older i w- at the time was you know in my 40s and i just felt like you know he 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 wasn't really giving me feedback i was just kind of on autopilot um he wasn't really paying attention much to my performance in training and stuff like that. So it wasn't really until I met Tom that I realized that, you know, this coach really didn't have a lot of faith in me. And when he responded back to me about, about that race, and was just kind of like, well, that's a shitty attitude to have. It wasn't, it just made me realize like, okay, well, does this guy have any faith in me or is, you know, is he just, you know, I I just didn't feel, um, you know, like he had any, Uh, right? Like he just probably didn't believe in me that I could be good because of maybe my age or, or whatever. And with Tom, I, you know, when I first met him as a coach, I asked him, you know, like, well, you know, why do you think you'd be a good coach for me? I mean, I know you're a world tour athlete, but that doesn't mean that you're going to be a good coach. And he was like, well, first of all, I care. And second of all, I can help you win the races you want to win. And to me, that was sort of like the beginning of this raising your ceiling, because all of a sudden I met someone who was like, I'm going to help you win. And it was not how old are you? There was never a question of how old are you? It was never a question of anything. It was like, what do you want to win? And I will help you get there. And then in about maybe three or four years ago now, I, I was in a bike accident and I broke my neck and... When I came out of that, I came home, I literally couldn't move anything from my neck down. I wasn't paralyzed, but I I couldn't lift my arms because your arm muscles are connected to your neck and I couldn't turn my body. I couldn't rotate. I couldn't bounce up and down, nothing that that would move my spine. So I was very, very immobile. And... I got home on a Friday in the afternoon and I I sat in my house and with my neck brace on and my surgery and everything. And I was like, Well, I can't do anything. And I was really devastated. And I called my coach and I was like, I'm worthless. I got to stop coaching. I'm done. I can't do anything. And he was like, No, you need me now more than ever. And so I thought to myself, you know, what can I do? You know, I, I know what I can't do. I can't do anything. But but what can I do? And I looked at my stairs at my house and from basically my waist down, I can, I can move. So I just started walking my stairs and I got a Garmin watch and I, you know, I'm, I'm really data driven because just the era that I, that I started bike racing. So I, I like computers and data and heart rate and power and cadence and all that stuff. So instead I got a Garmin watch that t- showed my steps and my calories and my heart rate and, my sleep and everything and I just started geeking out on like what I could do. And so it was like I can walk, I can do this much vertical while I'm walking. You know, it was a shuffle, but it was nonetheless a walk. And so that I guess that was sort of where I started, you know, like raising my floor. It's when I realized like, you know, what am I going to do? Am I right. just going to slip into a deep dark hole? Am I just going to throw the baby out with the bathwater? It's like, yeah, I can't move, but I can do something. I can do bicep curls, even though I can't move my shoulders, I can move Mm -hmm. my lower arm. So it just sort of became this fascination with like, and curiosity, I guess, is another thing is like, okay, I am curious, what can I do? And that's sort of like the raising the floor, like sometimes you got to do it, you got to bring the floor up, (laughs) you can't go (laughs) into that deep, dark place, Right. you know, stand a little higher, if you can't go high, at least don't go low. Right?
0: And then so, you, you have come back from that it was like, yeah. how long did it take to get back on a bicycle?
1: Yeah, that was a miraculous recovery. Cause um, well, Kaiser, I was with Kaiser at the time and I had an amazing surgeon. I was super lucky and they actually did a, a story on my recovery. Cause I, I wrote my surgeon a few weeks after and sent him, a letter saying thank you and told him what I was doing and he was like oh my god we want to do a story on you and your recovery this is amazing because I basically it was the end of September that I crashed. What year? Uh, Oh I think it was like four Septembers ago now. So I don't remember the year but I know time is a funny thing. This I know. Was it a
0: single was it a single bike accident? Was it
1: yeah it was just a really super fluky situation. Um it was the end of my season, my road season and I was like in great shape and I was just out with my son and my sister and her son and We're riding mountain bikes and I had a really nice full suspension Juliana and my son wanted to ride it. And so I borrowed my sister's crappy bike hanging in her garage that had sticky brakes and everything was squeaky. And we were just in our sandals and backpacks and out for a tool. And we have a great bike park here, the Valmont Bike Park. And I've raced cyclocross on that park a lot and been all over the trail. So I knew it pretty well. And, you know, the boys are 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 crazy and fun. And so we're just following flowing around on the, tra- on the trails and went down this one pump track and we'd been on it several times. And I was on this sticky brake bike. And I mean, you know, my sister said to me earlier, she's like, Oh, that bike, you know, those brakes are giving you a hard time. And I'm like, yeah, they're pretty sticky and you know, like, whatever. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I, I ended up, you know, going down this one section and I needed to scrub some speed and I tapped the brake and it grabbed the wheel. And Oh boy. I went flying over. It was sort of like, um, it it was like a movie where you can just see the grass coming Mm -hmm, and you see mm -hmm. the earth coming. (laughs) The Mm -hmm, next thing you know, you crash into it. (laughs) So I landed on my head and just the way I landed on the top of my head, I just hit the top of my head and cracked to the side and broke six and seven cervical Mm vertebrae and they were displaced. And it was, it was pretty bad. I wasn't knocked out. I didn't have a head injury, but I did crack my neck. It's just the way that I fell and the impact just cracked it. So I had full, full surgery front and back fusion of six and seven. So yeah, it was epic. It was pretty epic. Yeah. So I I came back, I think the crash was in September, the end of September. And then I was out and pretty much by that, you know, like a week after I got out of the hospital, I had my son put my trainer in the living room and I, I couldn't move my neck. I'm in this neck brace securing mm-hmm. everything and you can't have any rotation. <clears throat> so I'd put my phone on top of my head <laughs> so, that, so that I wouldn't make it fall. And I would get on my trainer and I literally, was like 70 RPMs, just like for 10 minutes sitting totally straight. So my spine wouldn't move, no disruption to my spine. And I just pedaled. And like the first day it was like, my heart rate got up to 80 and it was for 10 minutes and I was like, yes, <laughs> success. I did it. <laughs> so yeah, and I just progressed and eventually I could put like a knuckle down on the bars and then sit up and it just, you know, over time I worked my way back and I think I was racing that March on the road. I was my first race. So it was really quick. I think they said full fusion for my neck was gonna be at six months and they did a scan at four months and I had full fusion. So as soon as I knew I had full fusion, I knew I could get out on the bike and, you know, I had soft tissue damage. So of course I had all kinds of whiplash. I mean, my muscles were messed up, but I was, you know, because I'm a body worker, I just, I just knew exactly what I needed to do. I had PT. I found a PT guy that was not afraid to mobilize my neck. I went twice a week to PT. I, a friend of mine came over and gave me massage on my arms, <clears throat> all the muscles that connected to my neck. I mean, of course I was very careful, but I just, you know, I started in the gym eventually when I could and and found a, a strength coach that knew a lot about the neck and, and the muscles that supported the neck. And I said, look, I, I need to strengthen my upper body and I need to get myself back. And so he, he and I worked together to get that going. And I just, I kind of just said, like I'm going to do this and who are the people I need to help me get there and just kind of created it. So it, it, yeah, it was really good. Now I'm, I'm fine. I think the fact that I, I was not racing. I mean, a lot of people have a lot of blocks when they have big injuries and and it's a lot of PTSD and stuff, but for me, I can just compartmentalize it. You know, I was, I was on a mountain bike, on right, a right. crappy bike. And you know what happened? It wasn't, <clears throat> it wasn't on pavement. Yeah. I mean, I, I have, I have slid out plenty on pavement but this one this one was easy for me to to get over i don't associate it with any of the racing stuff that i do i did sell my juliana and i said to myself okay you know whether i believe in god or not i was like okay I, i i get it i hear it like i hear your lesson like don't don't get on the mountain bike just so i sold my mountain bike and got a gravel bike and that keeps me on less technical terrain and right It's a different skill set. It's, it's two wheels, mountain bikes and, and road bikes, but they really are different skill sets. And I'm they are very
0: different. Yeah. No, I do both. They're very different. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So I'm, I'm, I'm a pretty dynamic, aggressive technical rider on the road bike, but I, you know, now I know this is the wisdom, right? When I get on the mountain bike or on a gravel bike, it's like, I have to adjust my skill set a little bit for the bike that I'm on and the terrain that Mm -hmm. I'm on. And yeah. So, yeah.
0: We'll get back to the show in just a moment. But first I want to share more exciting news in case you didn't hear about our menopause summit coming up this September. Along with our virtual summit presentations, there is going to be a live and in-person component in Boulder, Colorado. The live summit will run from September 23rd through the 26th. We'll have educational and practical knowledge sessions on all the topics you'd expect performance, nutrition, symptom management, mindset, hormones and more, as well as a lot of fun outdoor activities like hikes, bike rides, swimming, trail runs, yoga sessions and more. You'll also have the opportunity to meet up with experts with bodywork, bike fit, and of course, we'll have a few happy hours and meet and greets. And right now, for listening, you can get $50 off registration just by tuning into this podcast. That's right. Listeners of the show get 50 bucks off the live event. Just go to feistymenopause.com, click on the Menopause Summit tab in the upper right hand corner, and use the coupon code HIT PLAY, all caps. Again, $50 off the live event with the code HIT PLAY, one that's one word, all caps. If you can't join us live, totally get it. You can still come and buy tickets for the virtual summit. And you'll get everything. In fact, everybody gets anything, whether you come to join us in Boulder or you tune in to the virtual, everybody will have access to all the sessions that will be recorded, and you'll be able to view that content until the end of the year on December 31st. So go to feistymenopause.com, read all about our sessions and speakers, learn more. Come join us live. Come join us virtually whatever way you can. But if you're listening now and you want to come and spend some time with us in Boulder, live and in person, now is your time to get $50 off the registration. Hit play, all caps. I hope to see you there. Let's get back to the show.
1: So So let's take a
0: segue, I was going to say, into into body work. You are a massage therapist and that's that's part of what you provide. Um, Yeah. I'm a huge fan of bodywork myself. I, I, we have not had a massage therapist on the show. So, um, you know, I'd, li- I'd like to talk specifically about what you think bodywork can provide to our audience specifically.
1: Yeah, bodywork is amazing. It, it offers, of course, I'm, I mean, relaxation. You know, I, I do work with a lot of athletes and actually everyone that I work with is an athlete uh, to some degree, right? Some people are weekend warriors. Some, you know, whatever they are. Some people are elite, but it's all the same. It's about rebalancing the body. You know, for me, I like to decompress the body because we're always under compression, right? Because gravity and we're pounding and we're, you know, so I like to decompress and rebalance the body when you know when people are active. And I th- I think that one of the beauties about body work is it helps my clients get into their body and it brings the mind into the body. And it's, it's just another way to, to assess like, well, where's my tightness? Uh, Where's my stress? You know, as I'm working, I think I'm bringing my clients, minds, I into their body into these different places. And, you know, I, I did study um, I'm a, i am I was a dancer, but I studied somatic psychology at Naropa and it's you know part of what massage does, whether you are aware of it or not, is it, it's really the body mind, and the body has its own um, its own memory and its own its own storage, and you know we don't have to pay much attention to it. It's, it's subconscious, but it's there. So when I give people massages, I am very aware that they are are starting to realize like where is their tension, where is their stress. And so for athletes, it's that, but it's also just, you know, getting the tension out of the muscles, repatterning the muscles, combing through the knots, you know, decompressing the joints, increasing the range of motion, you know, getting circulation stimulated to get the muscle breakdown out and the byproduct to get them mm-hmm. recovered and ready for their next workouts. And so it's it's a little bit of both of those things, which I think are is really important. It's very grounding actually for people to get massage.
0: When you say decompression, I keep thinking of like anti-gravity and hanging upside down, but like, what do you yeah. actually mean when you say decompression?
1: Yeah. yeah. Um, so just, I do a lot of um, joint range of motion. I uh, I sort of traction the, the joints as I'm working, like I'll hold someone's arm and sort of give it a little bit of, of length as I'm working the muscles. I mean, every muscle crosses at least one joint. So if you decompress the joints and you give the connective tissue a little bit of length, because it's, you know, the connective tissue that goes from from across the joints, then you also are giving the muscles a little relief, all the fibers of the muscles are getting relief too. So decompressing the joint is also relaxing the connective tissue and helping the muscle lengthen. I also like to focus on balancing people right to left. So you know, of course, I do, you know, both sides of the body, you know, right, left on everything, front, back. But, um, but I'm very well aware that a person's mind's eye is going, is, is assessing right to left. And as athletes, there's always the question of like, well, why is this side stronger than that side? Or why is this glute muscle tighter than that side and blah, blah, blah. So I, you know, part, when I say rebalance, part of it is just helping a person re, rebalance from side to side, right and left, you know, top to bottom, front to back. It's just in their mind's eye. I want them to have a vision of they are completely at a neutral balanced place in their physical body. For instance, cycle cross, cycle cross, you're shouldering a bike on the right. You're swinging your leg over on one side. I mean, there's, there's all kinds of, you know, right, left imbalances going on all the time. You're hopping off of one leg, kicking on one leg. I mean, it's just so like non-symmetrical and, and, you know, and so as that is an example, if I'm working with an athlete, like a cycle crosser, then I know that, you know, I don't want them, I want them to leave feeling like they're square, you know, they're not jacked up on one side and forward on another side. So I just try to rebalance their, their mind's eye and their body, you know, shoulders are equal, hips are equal, leg length is equal, arm length is equal, shoulders, you know, everything. So when, you know, rebalance and decompress is just sort of, sort out the muscular skeletal system and reset it back to zero.
0: Right. Right. And, and that, you know, I, I, I recognize that in myself, like when I have body work, I feel like there's something bound up that is keeping the other side. It's like a pinball effect, right? Like I might be bound up on one side and it's affecting the other side, which is then pinballing back down to something on the other side. So getting whatever that is, the crux of that, you know, it's sort of like as you said, sort of decompress, release, get the knots out, sort of helps the whole system get back into homeostasis where it should.
1: Yeah, exactly. And, and on that note, I mean, a lot of people will come to me and they're like, well, I've been trying to work on this on the right side. And, you know, there's all these imbalances and, you know, again, sort of like the menstrual cycle, you got to work with what you got and the body is not symmetrical. We're just not, there's always going to be a dominant side, the right side, the left side, you know, one glute, some people, you know, stand on one side as support and their other leg does the work, but the body works together from side to side. So it's, it's okay. If one, if one quad is stronger and the other one's not as strong or, but it's, it's, it's the body working together. And so sometimes when I'm working with people, it's like, I, I, I sort of, am teaching people a couple things come come to mind, which I definitely want to get to. One is that, you know, it's okay that your body's not perfectly symmetrical side to side. So what are you working with? Oh, yeah, well, awareness. Yeah, my right side is more dominant in this particular area. Or, you know, I do tend to lean this way, or I do tend to stand that way, or I strike this way, you know, and, and so I'm just helping a person understand their body, what they're working with, and make that an amazing thing rather than, oh, darn it. That's such a bummer, Right. So we can't, we can't think of our bodies as it's a bummer. I'm not symmetrical or it's a bummer. I, I have this tightness or this weakness. It's like, no, you know, let's, let's figure out what's weak and make it stronger mm-hmm. and let's figure out what's strong and get it ready and, and make it better. You know,
0: right. Are there tools? Cause I, I mean, obviously body work is awesome and I love my woman Rose who has kept me rolling, but you know, I can't hey, see rose. her every day. Yeah, my rose. Yay, yeah. yeah, hey, Rose. <laughs> I, can't, I can't, I cannot see her every day. So, yeah. uh, are, there, are there tools that, that you find that are useful for people to use on their own to do work, you know, to stay yeah. you know, in the most balanced days that they can?
1: Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, so, oh boy, there's lots of tools. Um, there's a lot of new massage gun products, you know, the, oh, right. the TheraGuns mm-hmm. and the Hyperices and mm-hmm. all those things. And so so I do find those useful. Um, the vibration of of those is really good. It sort of disrupts the, the tension pattern in the muscle and can help release it. So those are Got good. You. If anyone has one of those, uh, a good note on how to use them is firm pressure and go with the muscle fibers. <laughs> Don't go against them. Rollers are amazing. I mean, they're painful, but... Rolling out your legs or your body before you actually get on the bike or start a run, um, or even a swim is really amazing to kind of open up the muscles and get them primed. It's also really good afterwards that, that rolling pressure from mm-hmm. a roller is, is, so good for the muscles. Just you, you it, it helps the muscles, um, Stay flushed out and to kind of open open them up, open the fibers up, which is is good both for recovery and for prep. So I highly recommend spending a few minutes rolling, and then uh, stretching is super important. Stretching is one of those things where uh, there's I've listened to a lot of podcasts and they're like, oh, stretching, don't stretch. Mm -hmm. You know, you have to do stretching right. The point is not to think in your mind, I have to be a contortionist or I have to have this incredible range of motion it's a very much a personal thing. You know, the biggest things are don't stretch your body when it's cold, because obviously you, you can tear muscles or, you know, basically little micro tears, but it is good to sort of act actively stretch. Um, when, you know, to get ready for something, you know, do a little range of motion and kind of, mm-hmm. um, that sort of thing to kind of get them mu- like
0: runners do strides or bounds or high heels, that kind of thing, like a dynamic it-
1: Yes, exactly. I'm, I'm a, I think for an older athlete, just to, as a side note, for older athletes, um, you know, anyone over 20, <laughs> I think it's really important to activate before you do your activity. If you want to have your best performance and you want to really maximize whatever it is you're spending your time doing, then prime your body. It's the same thing in dance. You know, I go to class and before class started, which starts with a warm-up, we're in, we're, you know, in the wings or on the sidelines stretching, getting our ankles working, rotating our ankles, moving our head around, moving our torso. Like it's almost like the pre-warm-up to the warm-up, to the workout. And so, you know, you, you, you know, you're gonna have a better experience no matter what activity you're doing, if you prime that body before you even go out. And also for older athletes, you know, you're going to stave off injury or, you know, some problem if you, if you sort of prime your body first and activate the muscles. So back to stretching, you know, stretching is good then, but stretching is also really good after I like to stretch, um, in the evening. It just, just open the muscles. That's all you want to do. You just it's sort of a meditative experience, right? When you spend a little time stretching, you just, you know, get into a body position, um, you know, whatever you need for your body. And it's nice to be on the floor where you're grounded and you can just relax into it. It's not, you don't have to hold for a certain amount of time. You don't have to bounce into anything. You don't have to force anything. It's just as soon as you close your eyes and feel your body open, you're done. You did it. (laughs) Move on to the next one.
0: That's, Um, That's great advice. Kelly Starrett, I had him on the show and he recommends 10 minutes in the evening and it's really just, especially for our audience where sleep can be elusive, cortisol can be high, all those things, it just helps yeah. get into the parasympathetic state, right? Exactly. Because, yeah.
1: Yeah. And I think, so, so with recovery, um, you know, I, I don't always have a massage therapist, right? Cause you know, massage can be expensive and, and it's hard to schedule sometimes and find the right person, but you know, recovery every day is super important. So like my recovery routine is Norma Tech boots. Um, I get in the Norma along with that. I do a little foam rolling. I'll get in a hot bath and then foam roll. So my body is open. My circulation is going and I can flush. My whole, my whole thought process is get the body relaxed, but also get it, you know, get it flushed out so that the muscle recovery can happen. The cells can regenerate. As quickly as possible, because tomorrow I need to have another good workout, or you know, I just I I want to recover as soon as possible, the best way that I can. Full recovery, you know, is is really important. You don't want a partial recovery because then you have you have rebuilding. When you recover well, then you have more rebuilding. Um, You get stronger, you know, and so um, you know, sleep and let's see, rolling, massage guns, Normatex, hot baths, legs up the wall um those are some of my favorites. I did actually post a video once on using a french rolling pin. You know those wooden rolling dowels? Those things are amazing because they they actually they they're porous. And so if you use them correctly, you can like actually the the wood grabs the skin tissue and it's sort of a fascial release. Wow. Um yeah, I'll have to show you sometime. Yeah. Yeah, it's yeah. it's it's brilliant. I mean, it's a freaking wooden rolling pin, but you know, hey, what do you have? You know, look in your kitchen. You might find something good. <laughs> <laughs> the back of a butter knife. Do some Graston. Graston well, technique.
0: Yeah. I mean, I, I, I've talked about it on the show a bunch, and I'm not sponsored by them. But I have a foam roller that you put in the microwave. Moji oh, no heated, way. And it's <gasps> heated, and it is delightful.
1: It is Heat. the only,
0: yes. Because it's Heat nice so and good. warm. So you, it's not as, it feels way more inviting to sink into it. Yes.
1: Yeah. Yes. Heat is is amazing. Um, In massage, sometimes with athletes, I will use hot stones Mm -hmm. to actually like open the muscles even a little bit more. Like some people that like some of the yeah, anyone, guys or girls, when they have knots, heat really does open things up. I like heat a lot as a therapeutic method. Yeah, and the other thing that that I, I wanted to say about massage too because I feel like it's something that I end up doing a lot with every single one of my clients is is relaxation and you know, as I'm working with people, the more relaxed a person is, the more I can get into their muscle tissue, right? Deeper into the muscle belly. And so I I feel like one thing that I've I've learned that sort of systemic problem is people don't know how to fully relax. And so one of the benefits of massage is that it's a safe place where you can fully relax and feel what that feels like. Most people do have about, you know, a one to 5% sort of holding pattern going on in their bodies. They can't fully relax unless they're actually asleep. So it's really what I find beneficial with my clients is that they recognize where their holding patterns are and the fact that they do have this sort of overall, you know, whether it's stress-induced or just just a subconscious holding pattern of a little bit of tension. If you're an athlete, you need to know how to fully let go. Like 100% relax those muscle fibers. Like if you know, it's it's like basketball. You can't jump high unless you bend down low. Like you're going to get a better jump if you can give into that bend and it's the same thing with the muscles and the body if you can fully feel what relaxation is and you and you know what that feels like in your body to be relaxed then you then you know when you're using energy you know when you're tense you know you know it just it just gives you more awareness of your your energy systems and your your energy conservation your energy give so um that's another thing I really like to do um, or that I guess I, I don't really, I mean, I love to do it, but it is just something that I find with massage therapy. It's, it's a lot of information to a person on like, Oh, I actually do have systemic tension. I hold my neck all the time. I constantly have my jaw tight. You know, like if you have that tension in your body, you're, you're burning calories. You're not getting good sleep. You know, you're, you have limited range of motion. Like if, if you can't let go, then you you're more disabled.
0: Right, right. No, I love that. And I think it brings it full circle to taking yourself onto whatever start lines that you go to and being able to sort of channel that relaxation, you know, and being able to to give your muscles to give your full starting starting at that baseline that isn't as tense as probably.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. I mean that is such a good point. Performance anxiety. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Getting on the start line, yeah. even even getting in a group ride, you know, or or being around people sometimes after COVID. It's like there's this tension. And our our best performance is when our cortisol is low and we're conserving energy and we're centered and we're not worrying. And we can focus our brains on whatever the task is. And the best way to do that is from relaxation, right? Is to be relaxed. Like if we're tense, then we're blocked mentally, physically. So it it does bring, I mean, that's just another layer of it really, you know, relaxation, the benefits of it for sure. Mm -hmm.
0: Is there anything that you thought that we should cover that we haven't covered about body work?
1: Um, I think with, as far as like when to use body work, it's probably important a lot. I get that question a lot. You know, professional athletes have a swanny, or they have a hired massage therapist that works for them if they're, you know, an Olympian or whatever, <laughs> um, you know, and, and it is nice to get your legs rubbed out every day for a half hour, like right after a workout. Um, and you can self-massage actually, you know, if you just definitely do that. I think everyone, you know, if you can just grab your quad muscles or, you know, grab your calf muscles or your shoulder or whatever, and just pinch it a little bit and just try to relax and move. Of course, everybody should always be doing that get your, get your child to walk on your back or something perfect. Um, but, but as far as like when to use massage therapy um, I, I like to see like the professional athletes I work on on the, the morning of their rest day or after their last, their last hard workout before their rest day is a good time. Uh, so that you have maximum time after that massage for your body to restore before two days later, you have another workout. So that's a good time. If you're going into an event, I think the best time to have massage is, you know, if you, if you can't have massage regularly, is I guess is what I mean, uh, two days from your event, in the morning, or or after your or after your workout, whatever it is, it's probably a light workout, uh, is the best time to get massage. The day before, unless you're getting massage all the time, if you're getting massage all the time, your body's acclimated to to having that work and then recovering from it. And you're also probably getting a certain kind of work that's not too deep but really flushing and rigorous. But if you're if you're not getting regular massage, then don't don't do something the day before an event, right? Because you're just gonna feel you're gonna feel it's sloggy gonna feel, and boggy. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. 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 So and and so that's the other thing with massage is that and even it happens to me, I usually get, you know, if I'm in a big block, I get a 90 minute massage once a week. Um, and I try and schedule that, like I said, like after my last hard workout of the week before my rest day, or, you know, on the morning of my rest day. But, you know, after that 90 minute massage, I might feel really like just bogged down the next day or when I get back on my bike. And, you know, I just allow myself a 30 minute warm up. You know, I just give myself a longer warm up and I can feel when my body's like ready to go. And then, you know, it just takes a little bit of time to get that muscle breakdown. That's still kind of in there. Sometimes with massage, if you are feeling really sore or you're feeling really stiff, even when you get up off the table, I think it's really good to have a hot bath or a hot tub and just let the body soak. And all that heat opens the the circulation up more. I find that to be really good And, and do a little stretch, even like get a massage, do a hot bath or a hot tub and then do a little stretch and you're good, you know, stay hydrated, take a nap.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Always. Yeah.
1: Always hydrate too. After a massage, it just helps flush the body. I mean, hydration is another thing that I can feel when I do massage on people is I can tell when people are dehydrated, you know, it's like, and this is another really important thing. It's like the, we're, we're a lot like beef, right? So, you know, a nice juicy piece of beef is, is hydrated, it's moist, it's soft, it's supple. Um, our our muscles are just like that. And when people are not hydrated, they feel tight. The skin doesn't separate from the muscles. They feel dense. It's just you you can feel it. And a lot of times I I am the messenger to people. It's like, oh, you know, how's, how's your hydration? You f- yeah, you do feel tight. Oh, yeah, you know, maybe I haven't been. Yeah, well, get on that. <laughs> I can feel <laughs> it, you know. So, yeah.
0: Excellent. Well, I think that this has been, uh, I, I love all of this. I like, th- there's a lot of taking care and taking responsibility and taking action here that uh, I think we all can, can benefit from on all, these, on all these fronts.
1: Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, I, I agree. I mean, I was, I was thinking about it when, when we prepared for this and I was like, well, you know, these things all kind of go together and it's just really about paying attention to your body And like you, you own, you, you own your performance. And so owning your performance, whether it's trying to win a race or be your best, you know, no matter what your age is, is really about listening to your body, your unique body and working with what you have. And, you know, all, all the things that a lot of athletes talk about, which is respect the recovery, respect what, what's going on with your body, if you have a cycle or not. You know, eat the right things. You know, we didn't talk about that, but yeah, the nutrition part of it. And you know, I mean, it's it's in your hands. Get a coach, someone that can help you, because you know, we can't always see, we can't always see what how to be our best. Sometimes we need that guide, right, to help us to help us hone what what we want out of ourselves. Um, So you don't, you don't. I mean, people ask me this sometimes. They're like, oh, well you know, I, I don't want to get a coach and I won't be on a training program because I don't want to really compete. And it's like, well, do you want to be your best or do you want to see what you're made of? Or do you want to get curious about all of your capabilities as a, as a active person or just feel amazing in your body? Then it is helpful to have someone help you with that. Well, that's our show.
0: Join me next week when I sit down with Dr. Corinne Men. Dr. Men is a private practice gynecologist who focuses on wellness and preventative care. She is also a breast cancer survivor who was diagnosed at age 28 and has been through menopause twice now. We talk about dealing with menopause under these circumstances with a special emphasis on medical menopause. You won't want to miss this one. And until then, as always, stay feisty.